Hello and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam, your host for today, and I'm joined with Anton, Matan, Botti and Max to discuss rediscovering creativity, originality versus mainstream. Now, I know life is a bit of a roller coaster when it comes to creativity and visual development, so uh, I'm excited to hear uh, today's discussion. But uh, before we jump into the uh, the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and uh, what you do. So I guess we'll start with uh, with Anton. Do you want to kick uh, it off? Hello, uh, my name is Anton. I'm currently a lead char- character artist at Black Forest Games. Uh, and I've been character artist for my professional career of 12 years. And uh, I love games, obviously, that's why I'm here. I, I love art in general. Uh, at some point, I dream to be an art director. This is why I'm really interested to hear what all those nice gentlemen would like to say. Very nice. Um, Botti? Hey, uh, my name is Botti, Botti Harko, and I'm an art director at um, Roommate Studios. I'm managing the environment concept art team there, and I've been... I've been in this industry for 15 plus years, and I've been a 3D artist, texture artist, concept artist, and now I'm directing other people to to do it better than me. Um, uh, yeah, now well, my hobbies, are, are we going to do hobbies? Yeah, if you're free right. to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's all art, so it's, because for gaming, I just don't have any more time left. So yeah, I anytime I have a little spare time, I'm just fiddling with something that's either traditional painting or sculpture or just digital. Very nice. And I guess uh, Matan, we'll go to you next. All right. Uh, so hello, uh, I'm Matan Gantz. I'm an art director at MobX uh, and I've been there for three years. Um, I am traditionally a concept artist, uh, mainly character concept art, but then during my studies, I jumped into 3D and now I'm more of a more or less like an all-rounder and all kinds of stuff. Um, and um, I love movies, I love games, uh, I love art, and uh, I'm just trying to sort of like imprint my passion into my work so other people might also have the same sort of, uh, may gain the same kind of passion for games that I had as a kid. Awesome. And finally, but not least, uh, Max. Thanks. Uh, And thanks, Martin. Sounds nice. Um, (laughs) I think this is what most of us also aspire. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Max Schultz. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, saying that I used to be an art director as well, uh, like uh, some here in the group, um, and uh, decided to go back to concept art, uh, which I originally started around 13 years ago. And uh, since then, it's been a roller coaster of uh, like going uh, between jobs and uh, also uh, changing positions uh, from concept art uh, to 2D art to user interface art uh, to art direction and now back uh, to concept art here in Hamburg in a Hamburg-based studio. And uh, yeah, uh, I used to play a lot of games nowadays, uh, similar to Boti. Uh, I don't have the time anymore, or I don't take the time, maybe uh, one could say, um, but uh, still very, very excited about uh, all the things that are happening in the industry and seeing uh, especially the products that are a little bit more daring. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to now talk a little bit about uh, the more out there concepts, the more interesting uh, and more daring, uh, unique uh, perspectives that maybe we can bring forth in the industry. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Um, but I appreciate all the uh, the introductions there from everyone. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. 
We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. As always, you've each brought a, a specific question or discussion point uh, relevant to, you know, originality and versus the mainstream. Uh, so I guess we'll work our way around the room with each of you posing your questions and a bit of a context around it and your reason behind it. Uh, and I guess we'll start over with uh, with Anton. What's uh, what's your first question? Um, my question, like I, I picked, uh, can you be original and commercially successful at the same time? Like to be honest, I was thinking like broader than just art, but since we're all artists here, it's probably going to be focused about that. But like for me, it is like it because it's always a struggle, right? I, I mean, of course, if you're just gonna uh, should, should I explain it or is it just? Yeah, no, absolutely. Give, give you a better context around it. Yeah, because of course, if you just like broadly, you can just say, yes, of course, you can be like expressive and commercially successful at the same time. But when applied to your next project, it's not that easy to answer often. Like, and like the most successful things like, are not really the usually things that are like, like explorers. So, so like my favorite example of this is like the control scheme for shooters on consoles now. Like the first time it was introduced, it was like, and it was criticized, but like, under like uninteresting. It's it wasn't. It was something that people hated. But then now everybody's using it. So for those people who did it first, how did it feel? And the same can go for like artistic choice as well. Like every time you, even like picking with spaceships already like you know like you pick a sci-fi setting somebody's definitely gonna say you know like you're alienating part of the audience with this but you want to make a game about spaceships and this is this is a question you have to ask yourself all the time like or the other way around is also true like the, I, i've heard stories about when people who tried to launch world of tanks back in the day everybody kept saying them like don't do this like just do another game of orcs and it's gonna be fine because they've been doubting themselves same with like games like Rocket League, for example. Like now it's like a classic game, but at the moment, could you really like, could you just accept that it's like out there and try it and go there? And that's, that's a struggle I keep thinking about. So then I guess I'll we'll open the, the floor to anyone who wants to jump in there. <laughs> yeah, I think Anton, you already mentioned a super interesting and uh, valid point there with uh, really somebody having to do it first. Uh, for other people to believe in it and uh, actually see it and see it work. Uh, because if I look at uh, our industry in general, then I see that the more creative concepts uh, first really need to be commercially successful. And that uh, oftentimes also happens in the independent spaces. Um, so indie games, uh, as opposed to like the bigger numbers. Um, and honestly, if I look at games like uh, Minecraft, uh, for example, huge, huge success started out super small and uh, nobody did anything like it before. Uh, but uh, after that uh, became uh, one of the biggest games we have today. And uh, similar to that, I think you uh, can see a lot of games in the indie space over the couple of over the last couple of years that uh, do similar things, uh, for example, Inside or uh, Cuphead that really started trends right after their release. So um, 
I think there's there's lots of lots of examples, uh, especially from the indie scene, where people don't have the financial pressure to uh, do something uh, that uh, needs to uphold a company with a thousand employees uh, that really can uh, get more into the experimental phase of uh, game development. And uh, I think when it comes to concept art more directly, then uh, there is even bigger titles that are a little bit more daring. If I, for example, think of uh, Destiny 2, um, then uh, what the art department there does, especially on the backgrounds and uh, the world building is insane. And they try so much and uh, they succeed in uh, showcasing more special, more alien uh, concept, which obviously fits with uh, being uh, an alien uh, out of this world experience, uh, but also uh, their newest tra trailer for Marathon is a good example of them once again trying uh, to really do something different. So I guess uh, in the end, uh, it's also the question of uh, where do we also want to become more original, and uh, is it uh, in the in the artistic uh, things uh, that uh, surround our games, or is it more on the uh, game design uh, area where we want to be more original? Um, but yeah, lots of examples. Um. Uh, yeah, so uh, if I can jump in right here, uh, I I'm also a big proponent of originality in in all things. Like I think there is definitely a space for, you know, uh, walking a path that's been often treaded because it's the safer and easier way to go, especially for bigger companies that don't want to risk too much. And that's probably why the reason why indie games are are you know branching off in such interesting directions. But um, for me, it's as a, as a creative person. Ah, it's difficult because I I don't think I would really enjoy working on anything that 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 sort of like conforms too much to certain things because as an artist of course uh, one wants to explore or wants to try and do new things there's always like this itch inside to sort of like push the boundaries of what what can be done in a way of course not too much because you don't want to alienate people again but um, this sort of like evoking this sort of sense of wonder and and excitement and um, curiosity in the player. Uh, that's something I think is so special and it's so sad to see, I don't know, like bigger games sometimes that have the means and have the artists and have the creativity to really push things to the extreme, but they don't do that because of course it's 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 a risk and everything like that. And uh, I wish I could I would see more of it, you know, like there are plenty of examples, but there are also plenty of examples in the other direction. Uh, and yeah, I just think that um, it's always better to go a bit more crazy than than keep it safe. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't really have much to to add to this. Yeah, because uh, creativity and originality go hand in hand. So, if you you're lacking one of them, you're lacking the other, and then it's not going to be commercially successful. But then again, it can be very creative or original, and not being uh, picked up by uh, by most of the players. So, it's it's always this kind of push and pull that okay what 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 should we focus on even as even as an indie studio so you have to assess your risks and reward system that's okay now how creative can i be how much of the people am i going to alienate and most of the time for indie uh, companies it's um, is there one bet so that it's not necessarily that okay they need to to match a quota it's like it's a it's a it's a fight of flight or flight uh, situation that we either go hard and release and be successful or we're going to find another type of job but yeah it's 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 a higher risk but yeah it's it's super appreciated that people are still striving to to be original in this space 
if, mm. if I if I make like uh, because I, I know like we all focus on like our success stories, but there's like enough failures to keep in mind yeah. as well. This is why I'm sort of asking because like for example my example my example that I go to like gigantic the game like people super believed in it. It was amazing and it was original, but it was it came up at such an unfortunate time. Like the team believed in it, but it came up right after the Overwatch, and it was a multiplayer stylized sort of game. It got labeled as a Overwatch clone and dropped by everybody, so it was like failed. And you spent all this time creating something original, something that never been done before, and then you just labeled as a clone, and you have to move on from this. This is a scary thing if you think about it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's it's a very multi-layered approach actually there because uh, I still I uh, hold it to higher regards than uh, Overwatch. It has uh, it's a style of its own. Like ev- everything was a, was its own, but the design itself couldn't outmatch what uh, Blizzard already had with Overwatch. So that's that's where where they failed. Not the art department. The design wasn't up to par, so it didn't retain the players that as as well as uh, Overwatch. But there is always this, to go back to that that point where you do know, um, people brand games as clones of others. My heart goes out to, to studios who are you know no fault of their own under NDA making the game. They release it and then another studio is made just by coincidence a very similar game, uh, which is very like uh, you know sad to see sometimes. But um, again, you mentioned there uh, it's important to remember the uh, the struggles as well. Uh, and I think uh, one that we're all familiar with, I'm sure, is uh, No Man's Sky uh, with uh, Hello Games. Yeah. And if you remember what their main IP was and um, before they made no man's sky was i think joe danger which is like a mobile game almost the complete polar opposite so that they really had to go out on a limb there um, and of course it was quite rocky uh, to see but that, that's one kind of example uh, that immediately popped to mind when you said that funny you brought uh, no man's sky up because I'm, I'm i'm curious how it plays out in the long run how starfield is going to compare to no man's sky where one is a direct copy of the other i don't know which one started first because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes but i'm, I'm curious in 10 years which one's gonna be better remembered absolutely i think that the from what I've seen uh, of Starfield, uh, of course, that releases today uh, on the recording day. But um, I think they're, they're, they're both different uh, types of space exploration games. Like they'll be remembered for different things entirely. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think uh, what might be part of uh, um, making a game successful, which is also super original, would also be the fact that you simply have to make sure that, you, that your game is good, that your concept or your idea is fully thought through, is has a lot of depth to it. That, the person who's, I mean, the person's in charge of, of delegating the art teams and stuff like that, uh, if we focus on art, is so deep in, into the, his own, into the themes and all that kind of stuff that um, players who start to get into the game really do see that there's more to it. It's just not s- simply originality for originality's sake. There's a lot behind it um, on all levels of the game, of, of, of the game product in the end. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that, that should not be left out of the, the equation, I think. And it's super hard to nail on the first try, right? Yeah, yeah. We, all, we all know it, and this is the, where the dangers lie, sort of. Yeah, absolutely. But I think uh, also we were going to say something there, Botty. Add something. No, no, no. Okay, awesome. <laughs> but I was just going to say, um, we've spent a bit of time discussing this, uh, and just wondering, Matan, uh, do you want to go on to uh, to your question next? All right. Uh, so yeah. So uh, my question was simply like. Uh, as artists, uh, when we're giving when we're giving the the opportunity to design fresh new concepts or like a whole visual language for a game or a movie or something, um, 
I, uh, I have a feeling that one struggles a lot with this sort of like balance between going uh, completely original and staying sort of like still on the on the beaten path of like okay what's been done before what works what can the can the audience relate to and um yeah my question is simply like how how do you guys go about balancing those two and um you know going from strange and the daring and the unconventional and then having something that actually can be also relatable to and where the people can find uh, something that they like inside of it uh, fail fast that's so and, and any attempts you do to do it do it quick so uh, be be married to the idea that okay you can fail miserably with anything so accept that and be be daring and that that way you can fail fast you, you can go through the motions quickly and and have a, a learning experience and then you can apply it again and again and again until it, uh, it develops into a cycle of uh, more and more successful uh, attempts of what you actually want to to be fresh with because it's not it's not like it doesn't come out of the ether it's experimentation like years and years of it mm -hmm. so just just to break the norm and of course that that doesn't um that doesn't get recorded into, uh, into posterity you just get the the, the success story the rest of it we all know it just gets uh, brushed under the rug but yeah, to, to actually be uh, like against the norm, you have to to experiment a lot and accept your failures. Yeah, super important point, especially also in house testing uh, of your ideas uh, as early as possible to really see uh, with the people that know quite a bit uh, about game development uh, what works for them and what doesn't. Um, and I also think that uh, actually not every game necessarily needs daring visuals uh, to uh, uphold uh, in uh, this, at, at the moment, a uh, very strong competitive market. Um, so uh, it's, it's really a question of uh, what uh, your players are and uh, who you want to cater to, what their experiences are, how they um, can even connect uh, to the game, and uh, also uh, where you want to have the focus of uh, the game itself. So I think uh, the first question from a, a project uh, vision perspective uh, needs to be uh, what will a fresh visual style uh, do for you and uh, how does it also fit into the project? Um, if the concept is more open, um, I think it's always a careful balance between understanding what the viewer or player knows and uh, to anticipate uh, where the player uh, will be appalled and uh, try to uh, isn't connecting anymore, uh, doesn't understand uh, the game anymore. Um, I think uh, if, if I think about my ways of uh, approaching this uh, for the, the overall of a, of a game development or of, uh, of a game is to start with something more mundane and simple, uh, relatable uh, for the players so they can get in, get funneled into something that they uh, are connected to, that they feel they know and then slowly spoon feed them uh, the more crazy concepts uh, as they go along into the game experience. Uh, and this way they can also be more positively surprised uh, within the process of uh, playing a game. Um, if I may. Yeah, yeah, yeah go for it. I, I just wanted to say, first of all, like, uh, I, I love that question. Like, I, I was like lying, uh, writing down the points. I like, I, I had to stop myself at some point because like you, you just, you just have the thinking going and going like i have a few points i try not to like spend too much time 
one of the things that stood out to me recently was just, you know, I was watching the Blasphemous interview, how they made their game, you know, the Metroidvania, a very yeah. like, strong, strong art style. And they just straight up said that they've been like surprised that so many people resonated with their local experience that was for them. So for me, it was basically like, you don't have to go far to find something unconventional because you just have to look around. Cause, like I know me growing up, like growing up with orthodoxy, for example, as a, as a religion, my bring a very like a visual that might look like banal and mundane to me but for the outside world like it looks something that they are not used to see a lot so i think like you just have to sometimes accept what you have as an experience and just try to relay that as an artist to the or to the wider audience and you'd be surprised how many people find that original or like unconventional even though you think it's a very like mundane thing yeah, I appreciate what you said about the question. That's that's really nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, like uh, originality is also not such a big thing. Like, it, like it doesn't have to be something like that turns the entire industry upside down and makes something completely different. I think it's just simply figuring out what what you think is cool, uh, picking elements out of your own life, putting them together in interesting ways, and sort of like just being having enough courage to speak your own language. You know, like what what what, what drives you and what what, what brings out these tingly feelings inside your stomach when you make something like that that's the thing you want to convey to a person i think that is a part of being original in a way because everybody has their own subjective ways of looking at things um and that's like kind of the thing i was going with with the question like when i sit in front of a a, a task and i want to do something it's usually like this struggle inside me where i'm like okay i want to do something i i know kind of what i want to do in my head but at the same time i also want to like just go crazy and, and break break boundaries or whatever um, but that sort of struggle prevents me from from going too far, you know. Like it's 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 kind of a, a weird sort of like push and pull inside, you know. And I and I'm just curious how you guys deal with that kind of stuff. Like going too far with your designs? Yeah, like uh, sort of like um, you want to do something that's relatable that you've seen before. You use you use reference uh, photos and you use all kinds of things that help you sort of develop some kind of visual language. But on the other hand, you want to break away from those things, and then suddenly you're you're in some kind of deep waters where you're like, okay, I don't know where to go anymore. Like maybe I've gone too far in a certain direction. Maybe it's not original enough, or all these kind of questions come up, uh, and these are the things I struggle with a lot. And I, I think what he said it said it best. Like you have to fail fast. Just like try out things, mm -hmm. put it out to to people, and I guess that's the, like the scariest part, like to show it out to people and see their reactions, see like. Because I think, I, I don't know, for me, it's like the scariest to just show to people something rough and have to like accept their criticism. Sometimes it can be scary. Yeah, yeah I also think somebody's going to catch you and put you back into your box anyway. Uh, so yeah. uh, better uh, experiment first and see how so far have you fun. can take it. Have fun yeah. while you're, you're outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a, the point that came to mind when you were um, speaking before, Max, and it, you kind of mentioned it there a little bit, um, and um, I wish I could give credit to who I heard it from, but um, they were essentially saying, you know, make the uh, the mundane interesting uh, when it comes to coming up with ideas. And I think the, the example that they used was, uh, you know, if you're making a barrel in a game, we, we've seen a million barrels in lots of different games. How do you make that different? Uh, and you, you know you don't have to go over the top with it, but you have to just make something as basic as that uh, interesting and eye-catching in a way, um, and, and try and do that. And hopefully things will 
follow the art style of that that barrel <laughs> in a sense uh it's more easier said than done i will say i'm not an artist myself <laughs> but uh, it, it's just a you know a, a quote that i've come across a couple of times that came to mind as you were you were speaking there max and uh, metan as well i feel that uh, in, in the first place it has to resonate with you so it shouldn't be just strange for strangeness's sake it's more just just to be different from what's out out there already because it might be just too different for anyone to to like and you, you might be just forcing yourself into the mindset of okay i'm creating this just to, to break the norm but maybe that's not the issue maybe you're just you just need to express what you like because i'm sure that there's going to be thousands of others who have the same tastes the the same likes that you have and that way you can you can find a better direction Yes, yeah, okay. I also must say I only partly agree uh, to to that statement because sometimes that barrel uh, or whatever else it is, uh, it doesn't need to be uh, so special. So uh, I think it's also uh, it com comes down to uh, really how much effort uh, and what uh, fights you want to pick uh, each day. So uh, for a barrel, uh, if it's a really important barrel and uh, if you uh, want to set an example with that barrel, uh it it can be uh, a super special and uh, out there barrel um i think overall uh, it has to fit into the context and uh, the the world uh, it is in and there it has to always make sense uh, to make it a special barrel make it a, a really interesting or uh, alien uh, experience to have a barrel that's unlike something you've seen before uh, generally, with a style that uh, works really well, uh, if you uh, set up an overall style uh, that's more daring and different, something, for example, like uh, Welcome to the Obra Din, I think it's no, just Obra Din, um, called um, an indie game uh, with a black and white aesthetic. Um, like nothing out there exists like it. Um, and uh, for them, uh, obviously, that barrel would look different because the uh, entire experience looks different. Uh, but uh, just making something different for the sake of it, uh, I agree with Boti. Um, yep, you you have to question yourself, uh, like, why am I doing this now? Uh, does this fit with the overall vision of the project? Oh, you brought another point. May may I say a thing? That's like Obradin specifically. Uh, I I love the visual style for this, and this is like another way you can create something original. You go from your limitations because Obradin is a game made by one person. And basically they say like, okay, we cannot create like the best looking ship in the world. So we just take the ship and make it original by minimizing amount of colors and details. And that's going to make it stand out. And for me, that's also, I, I don't think it's a bad way to approach stuff. It's just like, this is like, I know how to do this. I'm going to base the game about this. Because for example, Ascent, another game I can list like created by Tor Freak, a very small team and like Tor Freak, the art director is the guy who really knows how to do hard surface. So they went like full on into this. They created the world full of like pipes and everything was hard surface and it worked because this is what you know how to do. So why try to go so too far from it? And it still like looks original and standing out from the crowd. Yeah, this is this is Nintendo's uh, principle anyway. So they've always had the, the their system limitations as the 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 lowest common denominator. Just create an art style that fits the the limitations of the hardware. Yeah, and it also goes back to that uh, sort of like speaking your own language kind of thing. You know, like you have these basic elements that are seen everywhere in games, but if the person who's implementing them just sees them in a different way and implements them in, a, in an interesting way, that will make it just look fresh and original it also makes me think of uh, Anton from your point there that, of the the sheep you know remove 
details to to make it original uh, it definitely makes me think of um you know like german expressionism in, in cinema from over 100 years ago uh you know the, the, there was a lot of limitations with film you know it didn't have the the nice digital cameras we have today uh, and those limitations spurred on creativity uh, so i guess it, it goes back to your point misan about you know shifting the way you're looking at it um potentially you know what are the the limitations can we use that as a strength potentially and in, in what we're doing uh, in making a barrel for example as well um but is there any other uh, points someone wants to raise around uh, matan's question before we move on to uh to Botti's? no all right well uh, the stage is yours Botti. yes so my question is why are we as artists overly reliant on using the tools at our disposal more as crutches instead of enablers of creativity now to explain this uh i'm just gonna draw a parallel that okay like Six or seven years ago, I was drawing perspective lines by hand. Now, everything I, I do for, volume, for, for volumes, for uh, 3D space, I do it in a 3D package, in Blender, Max, whatever. Because it's that much faster. But I see that artists are um, are relying on this exclusively. So, like, we're working in 3D because they don't have enough of an understanding of perspective or volumes or, or values, anything. And it, it it shows through that they don't they don't associate uh, they don't uh, allocate enough time to to learn their fundamentals and then that shows through again, and this uh, plays out into using a lot of kid bash elements as well. So people are are boxing themselves in by not learning what uh, what you should already know to be creative, and what. How, how how what what kind of approach can we can we uh, instill in people who are are used to, to seeing on Instagram shorts that okay this is the the fast forward process and I should be doing this as uh, as well as a as a starting art, out artist that I should already know this I, I see that the process starts with the 3d thing it doesn't show the the rough sketches and all the failed attempts and all the years of experimenting of of getting to that understanding. So how how could we um, instill in our our youth and our uh, future artists this kind of mentality that okay I actually need to learn the pen and paper approach to to everything before I move on to uh, all all the software that is automating and easing the whole process. Then, if I may. Like, sure. Yeah. Um, I think if to just answer the why part, I think you just like said it best. Like I think it's all the social media stuff that people see makes them sort of watch want the shortcut stuff because you only see like how things do it. Like that some I think like a few months ago there was like a whole debate about how much like everybody wanted to do speed speed sculpting like speed painting all the time but without yeah. any time experimenting. Oh, honestly, I think just having some time off of the like. And obviously not not abandoning the social media thing, just just having time off of it, just in the real world, for me would be a one thing to do. Because just you know going out there and having a clay sculpting session, it's so fun without all the tools that you have, without all the digital stuff. You just unplug yourself for a few hours, forget about Control Z and stuff like that, and it somehow works and helps. But how to make people do that? That's a hard one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's almost a philosophical question in a sense, uh, because it comes down to uh, what we really want and what these uh, artists that uh, start in the industry really want. 
if they want to be uh, the next person that uh, really just um, copies the 3D model uh, and uh, makes uh, bushes uh, for the next 10 years for crisis, uh, then uh, that's that's also okay. It's uh, not necessarily the most artistic uh, way of uh, yeah, going about your own artistic expression. Um, but the uh, overall industry grew so much that uh, there's so many people that really just don't aspire uh, anything else other than this being like a basic job uh, of like a technician almost uh, to recreate something or to um, do something uh, that is already there in the market. So it really becomes more of a question of what uh, as a person do I personally uh, want to become and uh, do I want to follow my own lead of like knowing in my in my heart almost uh, uh, what what drives me as a as a person and uh, with most young people they still have to find out and then uh, they're more easily influenced by everything they see around so uh, it becomes a uh, if all we perceive if all we see is McDonald's then all we know is McDonald's uh, and uh, it's as simple as that if you uh, played Call of Duty for the last 10 years uh, and all you want to do is uh, work uh, for Infinity Ward or uh, do exactly what you've seen, uh, then that's perfectly fine. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a different thing uh, from that one person that does want to do that to uh, maybe some of us that uh, aspire to do something really creative and out there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I can jump in. Uh, so I think that... Um... There is definitely a positive aspect to all the new technologies we're having nowadays and the fast and easy ways we can develop concept arts, you know, from like kit bashing and AI now, you know, we can just like, you know, like just shit out like a bunch of uh, mood boards in, in no, no time at all. And there's a very, actually very, very helpful in some cases, obviously not taking one to one, but using them to, to further your art. Uh, and it is a way to fast track your abilities. I mean, if you are now able to render super, super easily, like very nice backgrounds and then have a character in front, you know, and have that as a legitimate piece of uh, concept art, that's cool. Of course, uh, relying completely on the technology is going to be a crutch in the end if you don't know your fundamentals, as uh, Botti said, because I believe, I strongly believe that as well. Like, I, I do really believe that every artist should have some fundamental knowledge about volumes, 3D space, about how shapes interact with each other, how colors and everything work together. Because um, it just, first of all, allows you many more tools in your repertoire to use, to create, to become more creative. Because the less tools you, I mean, if you're so reliant on technology, you don't have so much space to expand beyond that, you know? And no, if, you're, if your mind is trained to take a pencil, whatever it is, and then to make something with your own bare hands, then your mind is much more uh, capable of, of sort of like, yeah, using these fundamentals as a stepping stone to something much more great instead of having these, yeah, these big possibilities of all this technology coming in, but not knowing what to do with it because you just simply don't know what you're doing in a way. Although there is also the flip side with uh, some artists uh, that don't know these fundamentals and uh, because they're not bound to uh, their proper uh, teaching, um, they they kind of uh, go out and are somewhere else entirely. And uh, then uh, people like us can be inspired by somebody who uh, didn't adhere to anything like uh, our uh, form and shape languages and our, stand our, our understanding of uh, 3D space that we learned. Like outsider artists uh, in the uh, art world uh, also uh, absolutely exist and bring in like new and fresh uh, visions uh, to the overall art. Um, and uh, I think 
it's sometimes also a really positive thing if you cannot do certain things uh, and you're maybe you have a skewed view of colors or uh, you work in very different ways with perspective because you never learned them correctly. You learned them your own way. So uh, I honestly, a couple of years ago, if somebody would have asked me, I uh, would have been absolutely the same and say, uh, yeah, Martin, uh, you're right. And uh, uh, everyone should know all these things. And then uh, go off from from that uh from 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 this uh safe uh basis of uh, ground knowledge to uh, other spaces to develop uh, your own style but then i see so many examples of artists that never did that and uh they turn out to be uh somewhere completely else maybe even not in the gaming space or maybe uh in uh the the video game industry that none of us uh, know because they're so small and indie uh that uh, they aren't successful but uh, uh we can still be inspired by what they push out there uh, there's definitely a, a point to to jump on from that uh you know the the untrained artist so to speak uh giving fresh ideas uh what comes to mind is uh you know with the minecraft and the the, the modding community uh, with like the pixel art, so to speak, uh, you know, modifying textures. Very, you know, it's uh, something that I did when uh, ten years ago, trying things out, see if I could do anything, and then naturally try and work on bigger textures, and, and that almost becomes your your self taught uh, modifications to games, modeling after that, um, and so there's this completely different path. Uh, that's taken uh, by some people in the gaming community. Uh, again, fresh ideas brought on by. Uh, just trying things but not being fully trained uh, as well, which is another area of, uh, of art. I just thought, give my two cents there on that point. Well, that's that's how aesthetics uh, develop. So you, you start from not knowing anything and you just try until you see, you, you, you somehow distill what aesthetics needs to be, how, what, what is universally appealing for everyone. But that's that's why you need to know some fundamentals so that you can break them. So that's that's why I'm I'm a fun fundamentalist. Let's say that. <laughs> um, because let's take Picasso for example. He started as a, like a, a normal traditional uh, painter, and then he keep, became abnormal. Let's say because uh, yeah, he he invented a shortcut for himself. So he already knew the basics, and he, then he uh, wanted to simplify things. So this this is what I'm striving for as well. Know your basics first, and then you can use all the tools at your disposal to be creative. So he he reduced the amount of tools he needed. He reduced his his uh, knowledge of anatomy. He he still had it. He just abstracted it. He so abstraction is simplification. He just simplified it to like the the, the minimum he wanted uh, it to to have for people to still understand what he he wanted to say. So this this is why you still need to know what you are trying to break, because otherwise you are just breaking things and and it doesn't appeal to people because there's something missing, some lack of understanding there while, while you're creating it. Yeah, yeah. If I may as well, uh, I think. You're right, body, and I think like Maxim brought a very good point because I, I remember the story about like some island societies that get basically disconnected from their bigger tribes. They devolve at times because uh, you, you you need other people to just bring like the people need other people to be really creative. So what I learned from my like experience to, like as a team player, like you never have one correct answer to anything. So. Like, do you do you need uh, one thing or another thing? The answer is yes. You need both of those usually because you you need two two people 
who disagree but passionate and like polite about it and then you can get something like truly unique out of this because you see that people who are like okay this is a fundamentals you should learn them and there's another guy who brings like something like completely out there like it cannot work on its own but it can bring like a spark to otherwise like classical thing and it creates something truly new i think that's that's the way to go for me yeah yeah i mean i must i must agree i mean i think uh, Botti's point that's generally the the, the 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 thing i usually go for as well is like knowing your fundamentals and then knowing what to do and how to break them to make it more interesting and i think that's a lot of things like when people start to do you know when i ask you you know what do you paint and i say like yeah i do abstract art and like hey do you do other kinds of art and like now i i just do that and then i look at their art and it's like okay it looks cool in a way but you can tell that they don't really understand why abstract art, high-end abstract art looks so beautiful and so, uh, you know, so, so, I don't know, pulling, exactly. I don't know how you say, then, then one who just does it for the hell of it, you know? So there definitely is qualities about knowing your fundamentals, tried and true things that have been done for hundreds of years, because there are reasons behind this. But on the other hand, uh, I do really understand Max's point, uh, where it's like, okay, if you really want to do something original and that do something that nobody's ever seen before and you find a person who basically learned all the rules by himself in his own way and can do some crazy things with that it definitely also has a place uh, that has to be looked at um, but then the question is of course okay if a person learns let's say perspective in his own way uh, isn't that still knowing some kind of fundamental about how the world works um, and then sort that's of like, how everyone learned it yeah <laughs> somehow you learned it uh, but no, I, I definitely do see Max's point, and I and I think uh, that's definitely something to look at. Yeah, uh, I do. Just uh, quickly adding to that, uh, absolutely, and uh, I also didn't want to be like the anti-position in, in this discussion. Um, I uh, feel that. Uh, with the example that you brought, Matan, um, of uh, the person uh, that makes maybe abstract art and uh, it looks completely different than uh, some high-end uh, abstract art that hangs in a museum, uh, oftentimes uh, a difference might also be that one really is uh, uh, like an amateur that uh, likes to delve into the topic and uh, really didn't go the full length of uh, really evolving uh, their their skill with uh, the abstract art uh, that somebody else did um so us as artists we uh, quickly pick up on that and see hey uh, really honestly uh, there is a big difference uh, between uh, your work here and uh, some of uh, the uh, classic abstract painters uh, that uh, maybe even uh, developed the, this the style for the first time and uh, had to go the hard way of making something something completely new um, and uh, developing it uh, all by themselves because there wasn't anything to rely on in the first place um, and uh, with these uh, second uh, uh, how do you say uh, like a second generation uh, almost uh, of, of artists that uh, just see abstract art and think hey I'm going to do that uh, but do it in a bad way this wasn't really the the point I wanted to to bring. Um, I wanted to bring uh, the point of um, finding yourself new and your own ways. And oftentimes, I feel uh, if I take me for example, I've learned so much uh, about uh, classic art education that uh, I cannot unlearn it. And uh, every time I touch a pencil, uh, my uh, my line is uh, drawn and guided by uh, all the experiences that I had. And uh, I wish oftentimes that I could uh, break free a little bit more, uh, but uh, there's all these principles in the back of my head uh, that guide my hand. So uh, it's really, really difficult to do the Picasso step uh, from uh, being like a 
classic master to uh, somebody who founded Cubism and uh, made uh, everything different uh, than he used to do. I see you, you brought up the the emotional implication of your uh, of your teachings. Um, so that, I, I get that uh, you might have uh, actual so actual education in art because I'm I'm self taught self taught. So I I learned everything by myself. Like I I couldn't even uh, find books on art when when I was younger. So I just like trial and error on at at infinitum, and some something came out. But it was just like bad, 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 mediocre, bad, 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 kind of good, mediocre. Then until it got kind of okay. But yeah, it was a lot of trial and error. But it was uh, it was uh, a personal journey for me. So it wasn't forced upon me by someone who had who had the the information. But they said that it's my way or the or or the highway. No, for me it was like I'll try this. Does it work? No, I'll try something else. No, like I said, there, there's some really good uh, answers there. And I, it's taken me back to my time at university learning uh, art as well. It's one of my minor subjects. And I feel like there's a few sound bites from this uh, question to, uh, discussion. <laughs> it could be straight out of one of the lectures then. Um, but I do want to uh, just acknowledge the time. Obviously, we've got one more question as well. Has anyone got any final points just before we move on at all? No? All righty. Well, I'll uh, hand the uh, the mic over to you, Max. Right. Yeah. On to my question. Um, so, uh let me preface this question by uh, saying that a couple of years ago, uh, I gave a talk on uh, uh, the the topic of uh, communication in the art department and uh, really about uh, how we in the art department uh, can uh, also bring forth more creative ideas. And uh, this, for me, opened the question of uh, what are good workflows and uh, good ways to highlight and convince your team of more creative ideas. That uh, doesn't only mean the art department internally, but also every one of the stakeholders within a company. Like, what do you use to really bring across your maybe more crazy and out there ideas uh, to the entire team? Everyone's thinking very hard on this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I can try because uh, sometimes I have to do this. Uh, I mean, like internally in terms of team, like my character our team, like they are super motivated they are the ones who bring all the crazy ideas and i have to be the, like this the voice of reason in their head because somebody has to be even though like sometimes i'm super excited as well like somebody just has to post the alternative but if it comes to then me like okay i agree i have to present it to out to outside to other stakeholders and i mean it would sound really basic but it comes back to to knowing who you're gonna present it to because uh, there are different types of people. I think we all know this, and it all depends. Like, if there's a person who's like wants dry facts, and you have something like out there, you have to present this in a way that's gonna sound like serious and like you know bring some percentages. Like this game did this, this game did this, so we're gonna do this. Expected projected, even though it's like it's something completely abstract art, it should work on this person. Someone else needs a nice like nice story to sell. You you come up with this, you bring passion into the dialogue, you bring some nice art, they're gonna be sold. So I'm just like, my art director is super passionate about the game, just looking amazing. So if you if you can convince the guy that this is gonna improve the overall quality of the game, it's gonna be there and we're gonna, we're gonna work with it. I think it's also about ensuring a safe space for people to be creative. And that's not just the space per se, uh, like uh, ensuring timeline so that they can, they can experiment, they can be creative, 
but still fit it into production time so that when push comes to to shove, you can you can prioritize. Okay, this is as close to what we actually have to deliver as possible, and then shift gears and create the the product that we actually were tasked to create. But yeah, this can be in parallel or it can be in production. So it it really depends on what kind of production we're talking about and how much time you have, how tight the deadlines are, how much leeway you have. I've I've seen with uh, some studios um, in terms of like their workflow and and pipelines that they include. I think every uh, two weeks or every month or so, like a, an art jam one afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, where they just get people to just make anything they want. If they could add anything to a to a game or any particular style they want to just trial out at all, and just give that that free space. Uh, of course, like you say, Bertie, relevant to the uh, the pipeline. You don't want to do it right at the end of a, a sprint or right before a vertical slice. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I can also uh, jump in there. Uh, from my perspective, I, uh, from the perspective of a super junior art director, so um, I haven't had really the uh, so much time uh, in the in the. So I've been working that long in the in the industry. I've been here for three years, and I'm in a position where I have to you know delegate a team. Uh, for me, it's sort of like I'm just happy when uh, I come with a concept. I, we spitball with the with the with the team about all kinds of cool ideas. Uh, I pick up cool ideas that come in, and I say, okay, we can do this, we can do that, and the other ones I you know throw away, the ones that I don't, I don't like so much, and then we decide to go in a certain direction. So it's a lot of it's a lot of um, community kind of thing about talking about stuff and 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 deciding on things. Uh, and I also rely a lot on my on my team for their creative input because. Um, yeah, they come up with some really freaky ideas, but uh, yeah, in the end, it's 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 um, it's difficult for me because I do see the the the, the big potential and sort of like developing a, a an atmosphere where the where the crew can really sort of like be more in tune with the vision that they're walking we're working towards because I guess a lot of it is also like communicating with your with your team like how what kind of concept are you going for and how can you communicate that the best possible way to your team so they can work in that space in the most creative way and develop the most coolest things that this kind of universe sort of allows for. And that's the difficulty that I'm having is like, how do you put them into that mind space? How do you develop a an atmosphere where they can just go crazy at in like that, that that makes sense within the world that you're trying to build? Uh, and yeah, that's that's one thing that I really uh, wanted to know which how you guys do that because that's something I need to learn. Uh, Pretty, pretty drastically. <laughs> um, I, I know the answer for myself, but uh, I know it's really hard to actually implement because you have to let people make mistakes. Because basically, it's one thing to just say like, okay, do go wherever, but it also means that they have to adapt. They have the responsibility for what they do, and that means that they have to actually try things. And those things might not work, but that's the only way that they actually will see that okay, I can try things and it is going to work. This they can see. That it works, and they let they you actually let them do things. Not only when you agree, but even when you disagree. You're like, okay, I don't think it's gonna work, but let's try it anyway. I think that could really help. No, we actually do this in a controlled environment. Like we have a, a self-education program. So uh, whenever the artists have downtime, they can choose a mentor from the team and what they want to focus on. So they can be hyper-focused on learning just one thing that the mentor is good at. 
And then after uh, they have the, the allocated time uh, spent and they've created whatever piece they're working on, they have to present it to the team and, and share their learnings. So that way they, they both bond with uh, one another. Uh, they they can recognize, okay, what their failures or su- their successes are. And yeah, grow, grow by that. Yeah, very good. Um, also, it comes down to really, once again, communication, like you're uh, in a position where you have to communicate your concept, not only put it on the table and uh, make somebody else uh, make a conclusion out of it. Um, but really, uh, having the team to, uh, to, to give the option of uh, them all discussing it together. And I think that's also a point that Matan uh, said that, uh, especially within the art department, uh, if you uh, can uh, get the chance to make everyone collaborate and have everyone uh, have that feeling of them working together on this thing, then at least uh, they with uh, them with it within uh, this small group, they'll all have uh, the the feeling of agency of uh, like knowing that uh, they together came up uh, with that solution. Um, for me, it gets harder uh, when you take it outside of the art department, really, when there is more people um, from uh, other positions uh, that need to be put on board. Um, where people then ask questions that maybe either you didn't foresee or that are coming from uh, a completely different way of thinking. Um, and there it gets more difficult because uh, this uh, type of communication and uh, them also feeling like they made the same decisions or they came to the same conclusions you did internally, um, it's it's more difficult uh, to achieve. Um, so finding really ways of uh, getting uh people outside of the art department uh, into the process and making them understand how the process uh, was going and uh, how you reached certain conclusions uh for me is a is a very strong point of uh allowing for more creative ideas to also be pushed through uh, through the entirety of a game production and not only stay within the art department I've actually uh, come across a, a brief instance where I've seen a, a came up one of my uh, podcasts, I think about a year ago now, where um, there was one particular studio in their Slack space, um, had it open to every single department. So if you're in programming, you could happily just jump into the art uh, Slack space and give your thoughts on like, oh, this is quite cool, or I don't quite understand why you've gone with this choice. Uh, you know, worst thing to, uh, to look at in the morning. <laughs> but in terms of uh, that, yeah, definitely is a really good idea to, to share with it, especially if it's on like uh, an end of week or end of month retro and uh, with the other departments uh, to really just showcase and discuss things and get thoughts from others within the same project but different areas for me that is the magic of game development because it's not only artistic thing like fully controlled like animation for example it's like it's a technical marvel just as much as it is artistic uh, endeavor so for me like the both the part of the both sides of it coming together this is why gaming is like games in general are so like so beloved by me because i love technical things i love artistic things and you'd be surprised how much i think like coders like programmers i just they're just as excited to create something cool for the project if you just like communicate you can come up with the craziest things that you thought weren't possible because you don't know how the coding works and they were thought it wasn't possible because they don't know how the artistic side work but you like collaborating that's that's the magic I couldn't agree, uh, agree more on that point. Um, but as we're just closing like the kind of a uh, time limit for uh, the podcast, is there any other additional points anyone wants to make on, uh, on Max's question or anything they want to bring up uh, from earlier discussions at all? No? 
Alrighty then. Well, in that case, obviously, just to, to summarise, so we've had a bit of a philosophical discussion uh, around art, a bit me through there, discussed how like indie studios are often like the, uh, the spawn point for fresh new ideas, uh, and you know, knowing your audience, understanding the purpose and the reasoning behind your approach to, to different tasks, and uh, again, knowing the fundamentals, whether it's uh, professionally uh, taught or self-learned, uh, as we've discussed here uh, today. But uh, I just want to take this moment to kind of thank each of you, you know, Botti, Max, Matt. Tan and Anton for giving your insight and their thoughts around all the topics we've discussed today. And uh, if you're listening at home and you want to get involved in a future podcast, then uh, reach out to me on my LinkedIn or my very long email of uh, adam.miller-betridge at evolution-nordics.com. All right, see you next time.